Baltimore is listening. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Here's Max and Steven. Welcome in, everybody, to Understanding CBD, episode 80, if you can believe that. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hello, Steve Allman. That's great. We're live in the studio today. It's uh, September 5th, and uh, we're here to better understand the shift in the cannabis laws that's taking place right now. Right now. So call us, text us with your questions. The phone lines to call with your questions are 410-922-6680. You can text your question. 443-743-2444. Vern the Valiant is standing by taking your call today. Thanks for making it here uh, on time today, Vern. Um, he'll take your question, comment, be happy to read it on the air. Um, uh, we're excited about this show. Really, a lot of stuff to talk about. You're going to want to get on the line, at least to get your questions uh, ready for this. Uh, this week's song, I chose Beast of Burden, the Rolling Stones. Gotta love the Stones. Yeah, you gotta love the Stones. Charlie Watts, I don't know if you have passed away uh, did, this yeah. past week or so, so yeah. that kind of made me want to put a Stones song back into there. And I didn't think any of them would pass away anytime soon. Uh, it's amazing, these guys, you know. Um, well, good for him. Anyway, one of my favorite bands, as you know, Max, and one of my favorite songs, Beast of Burden. Our guest probably feels like a beast of burden at some point uh, <laughs> with the job that he's got, but we'll get to him in a minute. Um, today we're talking about prohibition of uh, uh, cannabis reform policy. Uh, prohibition of cannabis began, if you can imagine, 1911, and we're here in 2021, over 100 years later, still unwinding this tremendous miscarriage of justice. Um, we're going to find out from the trenches today uh, what the current situation is and immediate future of what cannabis, cannabis will be. Uh, we also have Doc G here to share his inspired vision on how all of this political stuff is impacting medicine. And uh, if you doze off for any reason, uh, miss the show, uh, want to catch another episode, how do they do that, Max? You go to understandingcbd.com, and there's a tab there for our show. You can go in there and catch all previous episodes. You can listen to it on any podcast service that you use. You can just search for Understanding CBD with Max and Steven. And if you want to watch videos, you can either do it from the website there, or you can go directly to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash understanding CBD. Always great to, to see us in person that way. That's right. And before we get to the Newsmax hotline. To introduce our special guest, uh, we want to let you know that the Understanding CBD is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Go to maxandstevens.com, call them, or text them at 443-743-2444. Max and Stevens also want to let you know that they're proudly made in Maryland. Did you hear that, Max? I did. Uh, those Max and Stevens guys. Uh, CBD Drops, full-spectrum hemp extracts, and they have a new roll-on cream that starts with the full-spectrum uh, hemp extract, and it's also complemented with other gems from Mother Nature, like aloe, eucalyptus, menthol crystal, and capsicum flower, just to name a few. 
um, for a slight tingle. You know, everybody really enjoys that. Uh, did you know they also have free shipping, Max? I did, buddy. All right, good. So call or text 443-743-2444. They are. We are always happy to help. And also a gentle reminder, folks, don't take anything said on this program as professional, medical, legal, or financial advice. Please, we are here to entertain you. And... Speaking of entertainment and education, without further ado, our guest today is Morgan Fox. He's the Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry Association. Founded in 2010, the NCIA is the oldest, largest, and most effective trade association representing legal cannabis businesses. Their membership is composed of hundreds of forward-thinking businesses and tens of thousands of cannabis professionals from coast to coast. The NCIA is leading the charge to protect the legal cannabis industry, defend our state laws, and advance federal policy reforms. As a professional cannabis policy reform advocate and communications specialist since 2008, Morgan has been featured in hundreds of print, radio, television, and online, and online outlets, and has been directly involved in dozens of successful state ballot initiative campaigns, as well as legislative victories at both the state and federal levels. He was most recently the director of communications at the Marijuana Policy Project before becoming the chief spokesperson for the NCIA in 2018. Morgan, we're really honored to have you join us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. I'm glad that uh, phone connection worked out for us, too. Glad, yeah. glad you could be here. It sounds fine to me, so good. Um, such an incredible time for the cannabis plant. Thanks, really, for being here. You've been advocating to end prohibition personally for about 13 years, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it, pretty much as soon as I got out of college, I came down to D.C. and started working at, his, uh, at an internship to uh, end cannabis prohibition. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do that professionally, but once I got into the field, I just was completely sucked in by uh, how many nuances and complexities with this particular policy issue connect so many other areas of life. And so you started right with the Marijuana Policy Project, and that was in around That's 2008, right? right? I, I, were you at the Playboy Mansion that year for the fundraiser? Cause, uh, not that year, not no. That, okay. Uh, Cause I, I, know, I, I went a couple <laughs> of times, and I was almost always just uh, being given uh, you know, necessary administrative jobs. So not as fun <laughs> as you would think. Gotcha. And well, I was there in 2008, so I uh, thought maybe we ran in together. But anyway, um, so from there, how did you get your start with um, Marijuana Policy Project? Was it just a random thing, or was there a specific policy that drew you into this industry? Well, actually, the way that I got into cannabis policy reform uh, just overall was uh, because of experiences with the criminal justice system. Uh, you know, after uh, getting popped for possession in uh, both high school and college, uh, you know, I realized that the, uh, uh, the penalties associated with this behavior and with this substance that's objectively safer than alcohol just did not make any sense whatsoever. But the thing that really galvanized me was going to court and seeing that people that didn't look like me were getting way harsher uh, sentences and fines and uh, way longer probation for the exact same thing. And when I started looking into the history of how prohibition has been enforced, uh, disproportionately uh, when it comes to uh, racial and economic uh, standards, then you know I, I realized that it was something that I really wanted to get more involved with. So uh, when I graduated college, I started looking around for any sort of employment I could in the D.C. area that was working on these sort of issues. And uh, Marijuana Policy Project was gracious enough to take me on as an intern and uh, basically just been doing this ever since. I just keep, uh, you know, climbing up to, uh, you know, uh, more stress level <laughs> involvement. <laughs> now, Morgan, yeah. you call yourself a policy geek. Is that a specific major you take in college? Is there a certain skill set that you have to do to prepare for that? 
Well, I, technically, I guess I'm a, uh, a communications professional, um, and that was definitely not exactly what I was trying to do when I was in school. But uh, you know, I actually started out as uh, you know trying to uh, work in physics and uh, astronomy, and realized that the math was just too hard after about three years. But realized I was doing all right in my uh, poli sci classes, and then when I switched majors, it just opened everything up for me. I had so, a similar uh, yeah, story. Political science is definitely what helped out, uh, you know, preparing me for this journey. Gotcha. Now, now your current journey with the National Cannabis Industry Association, can you give us a little bit of understand of who you represent or who this organization represents? Who are your members? So we started out in 2010 realizing that there was a nascent cannabis industry in states with uh, regulated medical programs, uh, but they didn't really have a political voice. And they desperately needed one because they were being raided on a regular basis. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, they actually did have uh, revenue coming in that could be put towards good purposes in terms of lobbying and uh, promoting cannabis policy reform. Whereas previously, it had largely been you know, very small dollar donors or super rich, uh, more like libertarian-leading philanthropists. Uh, so getting industry players involved in it, uh, even though you know, they technically weren't even really uh, considered to be a legal industry or legitimate to nearly the, uh, the extent that they are now, uh, was uh, really the impetus to starting this organization. And I came on about uh, eight years in uh, because I wanted to uh, help promote that idea of uh, business people who are benefiting from cannabis actively working towards policies that would not only help us bring an end to prohibition sooner, but would also create a vibrant uh, you know, craft industry that focuses on small businesses. And that's basically what we do. So what kind of businesses are members? Are they all cannabis businesses? So we've got about 30% plant-touching businesses, and the rest are primarily ancillary businesses that provide services to those businesses or in uh, areas that kind of uh, are tertiary to the uh, the cannabis industry itself. And, uh, you know, I think that that is a real big indication of the type of economic opportunity that uh, this industry presents. Who's the most surprising business that's a member? Yeah, I mean, well, when you uh, think about it, there's really only, uh, I mean, maybe 20,000 cannabis licenses, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less. Uh, you know, it's always shifting uh, throughout the entire uh, patchwork of legal cannabis markets in this country. And uh, uh, there are so many needs that they have to fill. Uh, you know, everything from HR to plumbing to general contracting, facilities design, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so I, it's really not that surprising when you think about it in terms of it being a legitimate uh, agricultural commodity and industry like any other and all of the various uh, different types of businesses that interact with those businesses. I mean, uh, for every like uh, dairy farmer, there's probably 20 or 30 different uh, businesses that they have to interact with on either a direct contractor vendor basis or as people that are feeding them technology and resources and uh, the tools that they need to be the most successful. So, um, you know, that's kind of why uh, it breaks down like that. Um, gotcha. Also, the fact that we primarily focus on small businesses, uh, and which generally have uh, much less vertical integration and much less ability to take care of all of their various needs in-house. Uh, you know, it, uh, it creates an ecosystem where there's a lot of opportunity for small actors in dozens of different types of fields. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, we have a lot more questions to get to with uh, our guest, Morgan Fox, Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry Association. So stay tuned. We'll come back. We're going to learn a lot more about what's going on uh, 
right now in uh, in D.C. Stay with us. Hello, everybody, and welcome back in to Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hey, Stephen Wallman. And hello there, Morgan Fox. We not go jail. Good to see you. We're glad we made it back. Um, that was uh, Morgan's song selection. Good suggestion, Morgan. Tell us why you chose Peter Tosh, Nah, Goa Jail. Well, I mean, uh, when it comes down to it, uh, that's what uh, these efforts for cannabis policy reform are really about, to stop people from going to jail and getting arrested and facing the lifelong collateral consequences of arrest. Uh, but as we get closer to that goal, uh, we do have to consider all of the other uh uh, side stream effects of that, including uh, making sure that the economic opportunities created by regulated cannabis markets are available for everyone, and particularly the people that have been disproportionately targeted by uh, uh, enforcement of our uh, cannabis policies. Amen. And we're going to get into that. And before we get into the details, um, we want to remind everyone here we're talking with Morgan Fox, Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry Association. And Morgan, vocabulary is very important, especially when you're talking about policies and the words that are used. Before we get into the details, I wanted to clear some things up for our audience because um, it's confusing. Um, we, you know, you have cannabis, you have hemp, you have marijuana. You work for Marijuana Policy Project. Now it's the cannabis organization. How do these words impact the policy that's currently on the table? And is, is it finally using one word, or is there still some mix that we can expect? So if we're talking about federal policy, uh, the definition of hemp is anything that uh, is grown from the uh, cannabis sativa L plant uh, that, or cannabis ruderalis. Uh, that has less than 0.3% TH or yeah 0.3% THC uh, content, um, specifically delta nine THC, um, and uh, cannabis as a blanket term covers everything else. Uh, you know, I think people use marijuana and cannabis interchangeably, uh, but cannabis is the more technical term and the term that I like to try to stick to as much as possible. Uh, you know, for many many years. Uh, Marijuana was the best term to use in terms of political advocacy because that was the term that lawmakers understood. Uh, but I think that now we've gotten to a point where this issue is becoming so widespread and so uh, commonplace and, for lack of a better word, almost boring, uh, that uh, you know politicians actually know what you're talking about when you say, hi, I represent the cannabis industry, uh, as opposed to like, the, is that what, the cannabis industry? <laughs> Could you say that again? <laughs> Well, so speaking of what's going on currently, let's get into the current administration and what's happening. So how does, uh, especially D.C., well, specifically D.C., how's Joe Biden feel about this? I mean, Biden, uh, for better or worse, is uh, uh, kind of just taking a hands-off approach on this. It's clearly not a priority issue. And unfortunately, this is something that we see across the board, uh, not only with lawmakers and elected officials, but even with uh, voters and uh, even including diehard supporters of cannabis policy reform. Uh, the uh, support is very broad, but very shallow. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, it's definitely like not a priority issue for this administration. Uh, and honestly, I think that that's kind of a political misstep. Uh, you know, this is something that enjoys uh, bipartisan support, although strong, strongly uh, uh, favoring on the Democrat side and the Libertarian side than on the Republican side. It's, it's still majority support across pretty much every uh, political demographic. Uh, you start getting into some uh, some interesting territory when you look at the age and things like that. But, uh, you know, this is an issue that has you know more than two thirds uh, support uh, nationally. And hard-pressed to find an issue that has that much support these days, but it's just not the most pressing issue for uh, even the most diehard supporters, with a very small exception of you know, single-issue voters. So there's not really a lot of incentive for the administration to really dive into this. And uh, the president is also coming from a place of being a, an old-school drug warrior. He has definitely evolved over the last few decades, and I think recognized some of the mistakes and some of the harms that his policies that uh, have caused. But uh, it's really hard to get uh, people to change their minds on this issue when they've been stumping for one particular position for decades and in some cases kind of made their political careers on it. Um, that being said, uh, you know, while this might not be a priority for the Biden administration, I find it hard to imagine a world in which he would veto comprehensive or incremental cannabis policy reform that gets to his desk. Is um, Kamala in line with him? Uh, she's actually a much bigger supporter. Uh, she was, uh, prior to uh, taking over the vice presidency, the Senate sponsor for the Moore Act, which uh, did not get a vote in the Senate last year, but did pass the House, uh, largely along po uh, party lines. Uh, but I think that's mostly attributable to the fact that there was just so much partisan rancor in uh, the, uh, the last few months of last year. Uh, but, um, you know, Across the board, there are tons of people in the administration that are very much in favor of descheduling cannabis and regulating it. And uh, those voices are going to continue to be heard within the White House. Um, so, again, like I said, I, I don't necessarily see this being an issue that uh, uh, the president personally is going to be a cheerleader on. Uh, but I don't see a situation in which uh, he vetoes uh, anything, uh, you know, uh, moving in a positive direction, uh, particularly since most of these things, and particularly the incremental reforms like the Safe Banking Act, uh, mm -hmm. have bipartisan support. So it's a real opportunity to show uh, that uh, both sides of the aisle can work together on something that the American people, you know, with an overwhelming majority, support. Now, so speaking of the Senate, real quick, so how does Schumer, how, how does Schumer's bill fit in? So Schumer's bill is the first real uh I guess, homegrown descheduling bill that uh, has ever been, uh, come up in the Senate. Uh, you know, companions to the more active uh, been introduced, but they never really went anywhere. And, uh, to the, well, I guess I should point out that, that no bill has actually been introduced yet. The, uh, uh, the draft language after uh, Schumer and uh, Senators uh, Booker and Wyden uh, announced that they were making this a priority issue for uh, this session uh, in the Senate, uh, finally released draft language. And, it showed that there was a lot of engagement in the uh, the drafting process. Uh, and then immediately afterwards said that we are going to be accepting comments on this. So NCIA and uh, uh, basically we talked to a, a ton of our uh, stakeholders, all different sizes of business, all different types of businesses, uh, advocacy groups, scientists, public, uh, public policy experts, uh, you know, tax economists, uh, and 
condensed that uh, that information into uh, what we consider to be a pretty good commentary, but just really the start of the conversation. At some point in the future, we're going to be planning on submitting a uh, a line by line red line document to uh, Senate leadership uh, to show them what stuff we need to get taken out and what uh, should be added or where there are alternative uh, uh, provisions that uh, that could be proposed. Uh, but the feedback that these offices got was just huge you know, from every single stakeholder and involved advocacy group across the board. Uh, and so now we just have to wait to see what uh, the final language actually looks like. And then, of course, that won't be the final language. There will be possibilities to uh, uh, amend this bill throughout the, uh, the committee hearing process going forward. Uh, but I think that it's definitely a sign that things are moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, uh, this has never really happened, uh, you know, with such force in the Senate before, and certainly not with the blessing and direct involvement of Senate leadership in either party. So definitely a big step in the right direction, and shows that they're being thoughtful about the issue. Yeah, that's good. Now, would it make sense, I know we don't have too much time today, but to break down some of these issues that are on the table in this bill, um, either that or is there any other avenues that you think are worth talking about other than the um, this bill, if there's anything going on in appropriations process that may be worth talking about? Well, there's certainly a lot going on in appropriations, but because of the nature of appropriations, it's only temporary measures. Uh, but it's looking very possible that uh, there will be a prohibition on the Department of Justice spending any money to investigate or target uh, state legal cannabis businesses. Uh, in terms of medical, that's been the, uh, the law of the land, at least in terms of appropriations, and been renewed every year since 2014. But it hasn't been extended to adult-use rec uh, recreational markets yet. Um, and we're pretty confident that it will be this year. Uh, there are also a number of other uh, you know, research provisions and uh, things related to uh, uh, immigration and veterans' access that uh, mm -hmm. we're hopeful will be included as well. Uh, but... Again, it's gotcha. looking very much likely that we're going to see a continuing resolution. So uh, we'll see exactly what that looks like. All right, good. Uh, so then the standalone uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so, so then, the, then the question I have, just to condense the the time here and, and to make sure we can hit these issues, is the um, items that are heavily contested um, in this bill from the Senate, this draft legislation. Are there any ones that are more contested than others? And can you well, touch on some of those? Yeah. yeah. One of the things that uh, everybody has been looking at is the tax rates. Um, you know, I think that their hearts were in the right place, but also uh, failed to account for the continuation and uh, relative economic power of unregulated cannabis markets. And so when you really break down the tax rates that are contained in the CAOA, uh, or Schumer's bill, uh, it would be as bad or worse than the current state of affairs under 280E, whereby businesses cannot deduct uh, business expenses on their federal taxes. Um, and this would put uh, all, uh, particularly small businesses, at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, but there are also a number of factors that would put U.S. businesses at a competitive disadvantage in the international market, uh, especially as we're looking at uh, a lot of other countries starting to open up production, uh, if not uh, opening up their own regulated markets internally. Morgan, who's fighting to keep prohibition in place? Uh, on the state level, it generally tends to be law enforcement organizations, uh, not rank-and-file police officers generally, but uh, sheriff's associations and other groups that uh, tend to get a lot of funding from uh, 
uh, both you know federal burn grants, which are based on the you know the number and type of busts that you make, uh, but also are you know pretty much addicted to asset forfeiture funds uh, in order to stay powerful and relevant. Uh, you also get a lot of people from the addiction treatment uh, side of things who might have sweetheart deals with the state in order to get referrals that then uh, patients have to pay for, even if they don't necessarily have problematic drug issues. Uh, at the federal level, uh, it really comes down to an age demographic. Uh, there are a lot of people in power in Congress who, uh, both Democrat and Republican, grew up during the era of reefer madness, and that's all they've heard throughout their entire lives. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's very difficult to get them to change their minds about this issue. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, people are starting to realize, and, you know, as the, uh, the knowledge about the harmful effects of prohibition and the successes of state legal cannabis markets are starting to be just undeniable. Uh, we're starting to see uh, a little bit of progress in that area as well. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely still a, a, a difficult battle. And then, as I said earlier, this isn't necessarily a priority issue for a lot of lawmakers. And so, uh, you know, sometimes it's an easy uh, playground for them to carry out partisan disputes as opposed to uh, working across the aisle. But Conversely, it's also an easy way for them to agree with people on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. Well, so the tax issue, um, and it, it, you know, if you always want to know what's going on, you just follow the money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are proponents for legalizing cannabis because of the tax revenue. Where do you find the revenue from taxes going? I mean, it really depends on uh, you know exactly what level you're looking at. Um, you know, so state taxes tend to go towards administrative costs of regulating cannabis, but they also go towards uh, community reinvestment programs and social equity programs, uh, sometimes in the few places where those exist, and it should be many, many more. Uh, oftentimes, they'll go through, uh, go towards uh, drug education and uh, law enforcement or just into general funds. Uh, when it comes to the federal government, uh, it's really not codified as uh, you know, a cannabis tax because technically cannabis businesses are illegal, uh, but uh, it generally goes into uh, uh, just the federal general fund. And then what is done with that from there, uh, only Congress can say it's kind yeah. of spread around all over the place. Yeah, so as so the trend is more states are going towards the direction of, you know, taking uh, reforming their cannabis policies and, you know, the question is how do you see the states integrating with the federal policy or do you see that one will take precedent over the other? Well, I think like a lot of other industries, it's going to be almost like a partnership where the federal government provides resources and uh, uh, guidelines and standards for states to follow, but then states still have a tremendous amount of leeway to regulate the substance in the way that they see fit, as long as they're meeting certain base standards, and as long as they are agreeing to participate in basically what would be considered federal compacts regarding uh, some sort of uh, universal standards, like universal labeling, uh, universal symbols, uh, the types of pesticides that are and are not allowed, uh, things of that nature. So it's definitely going to be a, a lot of interplay, and that's why it's really important to look at these regulatory issues and to try to spell out as many of them as possible within the language of the law so that we're not left in a state of limbo for four, five, six years after cannabis becomes legal at the federal level, but while we wait for federal regulators to catch up and coordinate with the states. And there's already a lot of effort out there to, uh, for, uh, from and between states to create certain standards, and my organization is also working on creating standards that we can help guide federal policymaking as well. 
Yeah. Now, to dig in a little deeper to legalization, um, the term uh, deschedule, um, reschedule, decriminalize, you know, this bill is for descheduling. Can you explain that? What does descheduling well, mean? Like, I, you know, I tend not to use the word decriminalize because I think it's been kind of generalized and a little bit misunderstood. What we really need to be looking at is whether we're talking about descheduling or rescheduling. And uh, rescheduling would be an out-and-out disaster for state legal cannabis markets. Uh, every single retailer would have to register as a pharmacy. Uh, it would create a lot of problems at the FDA level with, in terms of uh, registering uh, uh, you know, plant material for uh, uh, investigational new drug programs, which cost millions of dollars, like things like that. It, it would just completely decimate uh, the existing and successful regulated markets. Descheduling just removes cannabis from the schedule of controlled substances under the uh, uh, Controlled Substances Act and then would allow federal agencies to be able to regulate it, uh, similarly to alcohol and other substances. And uh, the uh, bill that Schumer put forth actually does break it down in a very similar way to uh, what we proposed as an organization, which was to have uh, certain products, particularly you know, plant cannabis and uh, um, impairing or intoxicating products be regulated by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, or the TTB, and then pretty much everything else be regulated by the FDA, things like topicals and uh, non-intoxicating uh, cannabinoid substances and uh, edibles and things like that, uh, food additives. Um, and uh, that was mirrored very closely in the, uh, uh, the bill language or the draft language. Uh, it just needs a little bit of tweaking, and I think a lot of advocates have been working very hard to figure out exactly what the best way to do that is. Um, obviously, there's still going to be a lot of uh, control from these regulatory agencies, both the TTB and the FDA, uh, but we'd like to give them as much of a framework as possible going in so that they have less work and are able to hit the ground running. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, you know, we got to take a quick break here. We have a couple call-in questions. Can you stand by just for a minute, um, Morgan? Uh, we just got to take a quick break and, and get to a few couple questions here, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back with more of Morgan Fox. Stay with us. Now more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Hello, everyone, and back. welcome back into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hey, Steve Wallen. Hello, Morgan Fox. Thanks for staying with us. We have Morgan Fox, uh, Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry. We have some listener questions here uh, that we want to get to before we let you go here. And uh, here's the first question. If Donald Trump were in office, this, wouldn't be, this would be resolved already. Oh, wait a minute. This is from Rod Borelli. Rod Borelli, get that question out of here. <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, a serious question here. Um, uh, what's the difference between medical cannabis and recreational cannabis? Uh, it's really just a definition of policy. Uh, there are many people that think that all cannabis use is therapeutic or medical. Uh, but when it comes to uh, what the law states, uh, usually for medical cannabis, it's defined as uh, being only accessible by somebody who has one of a usually discrete list of qualifying conditions with a recommendation from their physician, whereas uh, adult use programs uh, or recreational, if you'd uh, prefer that word, uh, are generally uh, where uh, anybody who is 21 years of age or older can uh, purchase cannabis in limited amounts and in most states can uh, uh, grow a limited
limited number of plants at home. Okay, good. That leads me into my second question, actually. So we have one here that says, what are the laws for growing cannabis in my home or apartment? That really depends on what state you're in. Maryland. Um, so I, you know, oh, in Maryland? Uh, so um, I actually don't believe that home cultivation is legal in Maryland at all. Okay, Even if okay you're a gotcha. Uh, the, uh, the legislation that is currently being considered for an adult-use regulated market, I believe, would allow uh, limited home cultivation, but I'm not sure exactly how many plants or what the rules would be. Uh, you know, that law hasn't passed yet, unfortunately. Okay. For right now, it's state by state. And, and, and regardless of the law, what are you seeing enforcement on the home grows? Are you seeing that being enforced? Or is that not something... Yeah. It absolutely is, uh, particularly when it, it might be used as uh, a cover for uh, you know criminal operations uh, above the uh, the legal limit. Mm. Uh, but in general, you know, even if people are a little bit above the uh, the limit by like one or two plants, uh, you know, cannabis is something that's very easy to grow but very difficult to grow well. Uh, so it's not exactly like uh, the average grower is going to be able to make that big of an impact on either the regulated or the unregulated market. Uh, at most, they're going to be able to get uh, you know, material for personal consumption and to gift to their buddies. Uh, very similar to the way that craft beer works when people are growing it or brewing at home. Good yeah. analogy. Good analogy. Okay, we got one more question I got here. It. Go ahead. Um, I heard if I get my medical cannabis card, I need to turn my guns in. Is that true? That is not true. Uh, however, if you are a registered medical cannabis patient, it will be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to make future, uh, uh, future firearms purchases uh, because the ATF does uh, scan through uh, state medical cannabis registries. Uh, which is another reason why we need to deschedule this substance because you shouldn't have to be able, or you shouldn't be forced to give up your constitutional rights uh, in order to use the medicine that works best for you. Got a question here, a fan of the FDA here. The FDA is on the side of big tobacco and big pharma. What makes you believe that the cannabis business will not land in their hands of big tobacco and pharma as well? Well, I think that uh, you know, first of all, uh, the mistakes and uh, you know. Honestly, uh, some of the bad behavior uh, uh, that has come from those two industries uh, have been a wake-up call for decades to uh, regulators. And uh, advocates are very well aware of uh, the potential for that and are doing everything they can to make sure that that type of consolidation and that type of uh, uh, sort of oligarchical uh, industry control is uh, directly prevented in any sort of federal legislation that is going to be coming through. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Well, Morgan, thank you so much. It's been really great talking with you, um, especially, you know, being in the trenches. It's it's you can tell. I mean, thank you. We, we definitely appreciate it. Um, anything you want to leave the listeners with before you go? Uh, other than uh, talk to your lawmakers, convince them that this is an issue that they should support. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Uh, if you have a candidate that you'd like to help out in a race, Tell them to support cannabis, and they are almost guaranteed to get a couple of points in the polls, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. Morgan, how do listeners follow your organization and your work? You can go to thecannabisindustry.org, and we're also available. Uh, just look for National Cannabis Industry Association on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Perfect. Thanks, Morgan. We appreciate it. Everybody, stay right there. We will be back in just a few to finish out this uh, amazing episode with Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez. Stay right there. Hello and welcome in to Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hey, Steve Wallman. Listen to that music, buddy. 
Well, you know what that means. That's Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez from Atlantis Medical Wellness Center walking in the room. Flying in. Flying in the room. How are you today, Doc G? Gentlemen, I'm hanging in there. That was a great discussion uh, with uh, Mr. Fox there. It was a really good discussion. Yeah, if you like that kind of, you know, we ask every once in a while we got to get into the nitty gritty of policy because it does impact and ripple all over our uh, sure our does. society and and communities. So um, I'd imagine it, it impacts what you're doing on your end, Doc. Oh, absolutely. I am Dr. Ben Gonzalez, and this is Dr. G's Corner. So let's talk politics. Yeah, I know a volatile subject and a necessary evil. Necessary because there needs to be structure and organization when running a country, right? Evil because human nature tends to be selfish. And, and okay, evil may be a strong word, but when it comes to science and medicine, politics can really get in the way of advancements in medical technology procedures and medicine. One of the best examples is the politics of CBD research. We have known for about, uh, about, CBD, about the CBD molecule for over 90 years. It was 60 years ago that a lab in Israel discovered the different chemical structures found naturally in our bodies. And it was when I was in medical school 30 years ago that medicine and science found out that the largest receptor system and master regulator of the human body's balance is CBD or, or CB system called the endocannabinoid system. The system is larger than your endocrine system. And like our endocrine system, it involves molecules that travel in the bloodstream and receptors found throughout the body. These receptors are so important, they provide a chemical bridge between the body and mind to regulate blood sugar, immune function, nerve regeneration, uh, healing, pain management, gut regulation, hunger, and metabolism. Wow, right? Mm. So if this is such an important system in our bodies, if managing this system can help people heal from neurologic and metabolic damage, if treating this system can ease the pain of millions in this country, in this world, then why are we not hearing more about it other than from the internet commercials and grocery store and gas stations? Why is your doctor not telling you and using the discovery to improve your medical condition? Well, step in politics. In the 1960s, after the discovery of CBD molecule, research grew extensively. Scientists and doctors were excited about this new discovery. Then there was the war on drugs. Illicit drugs were becoming uh, a problem, and there was pressure on political, political pressure on political leaders to do something. That something was, uh, that something was a sweeping legislature called the U.S. Controlled Substance Act of 1972. In that act, any substance considered to have no acceptable, uh, acceptable medical use was banned and classified as a Schedule I drug. All cannabis and hemp-derived compounds were banned, and that, was, and that was meant that banned from medical research as well. So much red tape was required to get their hands on any hemp-derived CBD and cannabis that it made it nearly impossible for scientists to study. Even though it was well understood in the world of science that we had a powerful system to regulate our health and that cannabinoids, uh, or cannabinoids regulate that system, and that CBD can help improve medical conditions, politics shoved that knowledge into the garbage can of illicit drugs. Political definitions lumped CBD with THC found in marijuana and misled the world in thinking CBD and THC are the same. This is arbitrary and not science. It was not until 2014 that, that there was 
consideration to talk about fixing that issue. And finally, in 2018, the 2018 Farm Bill to be particular, these definitions became more clear. The decades of restrictions of hemp-derived products began to be lifted, which allowed scientists to study CBD and the endocannabinoid system more freely. Unfortunately, medicine and science are decades behind in research. Medical texts and education are behind. In fact, just the basic definitions of CBD versus marijuana is still controversial in both the political and medical worlds, despite clearly established distinct definitions in science. To be clear, you have a natural system in your body called the endocannabinoid system that keeps your body in balance. That helps you heal. That manages your immune system, pain, and metabolism. This system helps manage your weight. This system specifically helps you your, uh, keep your brain in the balanced state. Politics held back those advancements for decades. Scientific study needs time to catch up. But physicians can bridge that gap for you. Proper advice from a medical provider who understands your medical condition and a properly sourced CBD can help you get into a better place. For more information about how to properly use and source CBD for your medical condition, you can contact me directly on Instagram at bengonzalez underscore MD, that's B-E-N-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z underscore MD, or you can call the clinic to set up a telephone consultation with me at 301-622-2722 and say you heard me on this show. Doc, what advice would you give people who go to their regular physician and their physician is not prepared to speak to them about cannabis? Bring the idea that the, um, the, the knowledge that this system is well known in medicine and in, in science. And then have that doctor just say, hey, can you research the endocannabinoid system for me? Or look for a doctor who understands this. And then further, can our listeners and their health practitioners reach out to you directly if they want some guidance? Absolutely. Um, in fact, that's what I do is help educate other physicians on this subject. I travel all over the United States. Um, in talking to other physicians about this very subject. Well, that's great. We need to. Uh, Doc, I have one other question for you, and this is uh, yeah. just we have another uh, probably two minutes here. Um, if you can stay, I just have a question for you because I get this question a lot uh, in my personal life, and people ask me all the time that uh, have anxiety, and they want to know how to use CBD. And, you know, of course, I can't give them a, a specific um prescription or directions on how to use it. But if someone's presenting some, you know, saying uh, they're anxious about what's going on today in general, you know, would, whether would pick your poison, um, what do you, general guidance, do you, do you start with anything basic for them? Oh, absolutely. Um, in general, of course, um, trying to get the source of that anxiety, address that source of anxiety first, of course. But to help get through that anxiety, help help calm the mind down, calm that brain down, and the rest of your body, um, a good full-spectrum CBD, um, anywhere from 15, 20, 25 milligrams in the morning, 10, 15, 20, 25 milligrams right before you go to bed, um, underneath the tongue um, is, the, is a good start. Um, if you have an anxiety moment, sometimes CBD can break that cycle of anxiety, um, and so that's a good general discussion on our general advice on CBD use for anxiety. Yeah, and then and then and appreciate that, and that's uh, I think that's some good advice, which is you know just you know f- give yourself some, and then as something amps up, you need it. Now, if people say you know should I if I'm feeling fine that day, is there any harm if I take the CBD? Like if I'm not feeling anxious 
Is it okay to take it? Of course, the anxious people ask this question. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it, it, it is okay, actually, because remember what I said earlier about your body has a natural endocannabinoid system in it. And so it's, it's very difficult to harm that system with, with, uh, with those kinds of doses of CBD. It's when you do too much, it can change the way your liver processes other medications or toxins. But at, that, at those dosages, it's a good idea to do that, especially if you know you're coming up on anxiety or you're trying to prophylactically keep your brain in a calm state throughout the day. Now, would it work the same for physical um, like pain, is it, you know, do you use it differently? Like if, it, if instead of anxiety, if I'm like, I got golf in the morning and I got an achy back, should I do it the same kind of thing? Or what do you suggest? It does help that way, but it's a little bit different because there's a delay in how the nerves reheal. If you've got nerve damage um, that's chronic, it takes time for that healing to occur. Remember, we're born with this system. So this endocannabinoid system helps the healing process through time. So you won't get as as uh, an, uh, an immediate response um, you, sometimes for chronic issues, but for acute issues, you may. Okay. So it just depends on your condition. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate that. All right, folks, thanks for staying with us today. We um, had an awesome show. We want to thank you for listening, of course. We want to thank Morgan Fox, uh, National Cannabis Industry Association. Um, awesome job. We appreciate the insight you gave us. Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez, as always, um, going above and beyond to answer the questions that we have, and they're endless. So um, we have we have an unlimited amount of questions. Thank you, Vern, for stepping in today and helping us out. Thank you all for listening. And our sponsors, Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Give them a call at 443-743-2444. Um, you can also go to their website, maxandstevens.com. Uh, full Spectrum CBD Oil Drops. They have a new roll-on product based off the same Full Spectrum. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks Have a for great listening. weekend. God bless you all.